So as you guys are turning to Micah chapter 5, I want you to think about, Bella just gave us a great example, um, a time in your life when you felt stuck, um, maybe stuck in your circumstances, unable to get out of them, maybe you felt powerless to change anything about the situation that you were in. Um, have you ever had a situation that was so bleak that you didn't know how you were going to get out of it? You couldn't see that anything good could come out of that situation. Am I the only one? Um, a few of you. Um, I think all of us at some point have probably had a situation like that. Maybe you're in that kind of place right now um, where things just look really bleak and you feel stuck. Um, maybe it has to do with choices that you've made. Um, maybe it doesn't. Maybe you feel like it has nothing to do with anything you've done. It's just something that has happened to you. Um, but again, have you ever felt that way? Try to think of a time in your life when you're stuck in a horrible situation without any clear way of getting out of it. Um, for me, a time like that in my life was when I was the age that a lot of y'all in this room are right now. I was in my mid-20s. Um, I was a young adult. I was at a time in my life where I really needed community, and yet I just couldn't find it. Um, I'm extremely relational. I like to do things in a team with others. I don't really like to do a lot of things by myself. Um, and friendships has al have always been super important to me my whole life. And yet I found myself at age 25 in this small town. I was doing college ministry with InterVarsity. I know we have some InterVarsity people out there. Um, and um, I was doing college ministry at the campus that I loved. It was actually the, the campus that I graduated from. I loved the work I was doing. I loved the calling God had put on my life, but I was very lonely. Um, in this small town, it was very hard to find other young single people my age. Um, anyone that I would meet that was my age at 25 often had two kids already. I'm not kidding you. Um, so it was just, it was a small town. You know, people start families really early. And, um, and so I just felt out of place and I, I couldn't, I just couldn't find that community that I was looking for. Um, I also was lonely in my ministry because it was a small campus. I was the only staff with my organization. And so I was doing everything by myself. My supervisor lived like six hours away. I didn't see him that often. I was just kind of out on my own. Um, in addition to all of that, I, like a lot of you in this room, I really wanted to get married and there were no prospects at all. Um, I didn't meet anybody that was even, I mean, seriously, I don't think I met a single guy most of the time I live there. Um, <laughs> so it was needless to say, it was a dark time in my life. Um, <laughs> what? I said there's literally no guys there, not one. Well, there were guys, but they were all married at 25. Um, <laughs> Um, okay, so anyway, <laughs> um, I, I felt stuck um, because, as I mentioned, I felt called to be there. I felt like the Lord had called me to be in this place, but I couldn't understand why it was so hard. I was so lonely. Um, so tonight, we're going to look at a passage in Scripture that describes a time of utter devastation for God's people. Um, now, at the time they received this prophecy, when Micah was out there saying these words to the people, they were not in devastation. They were in a time of prosperity. Things were going really well for them. Um, they were wealthy and happy and everything was great. Um, but Micah is prophesying that things are going to change. Um, they're going to enter into a time of suffering where they'll go into exile. Um, and yet in the midst of that, he offers them the greatest hope that they ever could have dreamed of. Um, they, let's see, 
I, see, I start talking and then I'm like, where am I in my notes? Um, okay, so off, Micah offers them this great hope. Let me give you a little bit of background before we dive in to Micah. Um, so Micah was a prophet during the time of the kings um, of Israel, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. He was a contemporary of Isaiah. Um, so I think we've probably talked about, yeah, we have talked about Isaiah before. Um, and so these kings, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, were mostly really bad kings. Um, they didn't really follow God. They um, had all the high places, which is where they would do the idol worship and stuff like that. They did a lot of evil things. Hezekiah was kind of a mixed bag. Um, he has a time when he um, repents and follows God again. Um, but in general, these kings were not really um, doing what God had called them to. Um, uh, let's see. Overall, the people didn't listen to um, Micah, as they didn't listen to most of the prophets. Um, like I mentioned, Hezekiah did briefly. He listened to one of his prophecies. He repented. Things got better for a while, and then things got bad again. Um, so um, being a prophet was lonely. Um, <laughs> you're out there you know, saying these words all the time, and people just don't want to hear what you're saying. Um, this was a time when there was a lot of sin in Israel. When we talked about Amos last time we were together, there was also a lot of sin, sensing a theme here. Um, there's a lot of times when the people of Israel were turning from God. Um, but some of the specific sins um, during the time of Micah's ministry were idolatry. Um, there was a lot of injustice, people extorting property, specifically from women and children. So they're taking away homes from women and children. I can't think of a lot of things worse than that. Um, and um, just a lot of evil and injustice going on. But in addition to that, there's these false prophets that are out there and they're saying, okay, if you pay me enough money, I'll prophesy whatever you want. I'll prophesy peace and prosperity. Um, and so people are just saying, these prophets are just saying what the people want to hear in return for payment, which is so contrary to God's call for prophets that they speak his words, not for their own benefit, um, but for God's, um, for the sake of God's name. And so anyway, lots and lots of sin going on. Um, but again, things are about to change um, for the people. They're going to be carried off into exile. Um, they're going to be separated from their loved ones, separated from their homeland. And they're going to feel like the place that I began talking about. They're going to feel stuck. They're going to feel hopeless. They're going to wonder, how are things ever going to get better for us? And he's trying to warn them about this. Um, and yet in the midst of that, there is hope. Um, so throughout the book of Micah, we have these times of these um, prophecies of like doom and despair and judgment. And then there's a little bit of hope and then more doom and despair and then a little bit of hope. So that's kind of how it goes throughout the whole book. Um, and so this, this passage is one of those as well. We'll see as we look at it, there's, there's doom and then there's hope. But this, this passage is kind of the climax of the whole book um, because this is the biggest hope. Some of the other hopeful messages are more short-term. This is a long-term prophecy um, for, the, again, the greatest hope that they ever could have hoped for. Um, and so now that I've given you some of that background so you can understand the context, um, let's go ahead and start digging into the passage. Um, can I get someone to read loudly so everyone can hear? Um, and if you have the ESV, that would be helpful just because there's some different translations in here. So uh, Micah 5, um, one through five A, so end at peace. Go ahead, Kevin. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With the rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O, Beth o Bethlehem Ephrathah, 
who are too young, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. All right, thank you. Um, so right from the beginning of that passage, we see... Um, this message of doom. It says, muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. So they have um, armies coming after them. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Um, so judge here can also be translated ruler. And so it was probably referring to their king. Um, so the king of Israel being struck on the cheek, probably more metaphorically than um, physically, but um, regardless, it's this sense of humiliation and that they have this enemy army that is coming and um, taking over their land and their king is so humiliated, it's like he's being slapped in the face. Um, so this is a message, um, obviously they wouldn't wanna hear, it's a message of doom. Um, and this is the consequences of their own sin. Um, it's because God has told them continually, seek me only, and they keep turning from God. And he says, love your neighbor, and they keep doing horrible things to their neighbors. And he's warned them many, many times, and yet they continue in these ways. And so the consequences, that's what Mike is telling them, the consequences of your sin are coming. Um, you will be humiliated in the face of your enemies. Um, their current king is sinful. Like I said, all three of those kings um, were not perfect. They didn't do exactly what God called them to. Even David, who is, you know, was their ultimate king, um, he was, you know, a man after God's own heart. Even he sinned. Um, most of us know the story of adultery and murder. Um, so none of these kings over Israel were perfect. But God is promising in this prophecy that he will send that perfect king that they've all been looking for, the shepherd king who will be their peace, um, which of course is Jesus. Um, I wonder when, when they were in their time of exile, I wonder if they remembered the words of Micah and the other prophets. I wonder if they remembered that he said, this is what's going to happen to you, and yet Remember, this future king is coming. You will be, um, a remnant of you will be returned to your land. Um, there's hope. I wonder if they remembered, but I kind of think they probably didn't because they didn't really listen to the prophets. Um, but regardless of whether they listened or whether they remembered, God was faithful to fulfill his promises to his people. And he's faithful to fulfill his promises to us as well. Um, so again, as I mentioned, this passage is kind of the climax of the book. Um, in the midst of them experiencing the, the ultimate consequences of their sin and this judgment, God offers them a future hope that is far greater than what they could imagine. And it says in verse 2, um, let's see, 
you are too little, the second part, one who is to a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Um, so this is something that has been in the making for a long time. And when it talks about it coming from of old, it's referring to the Davidic covenant. Um, God made this covenant with David and said, there will always be someone from your lineage on the throne. Well, we see this fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus came from the line of David. And so um, there's, that's, this future hope um, for something that's going to happen a long time from now, but it started way, way back then. So it spans generations and generations. Um, and it also goes to the ends of the earth. So it's a wide reaching um, prophecy. Now, I want to point out a couple of things um, in this passage. So first of all, the immediate context of chapter five, there are three now statements um, that are, again, these messages of doom that lead up to um, chapter five. So the first one is in chapter four, verse nine. It says, um, now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? And then in verse 11, notice these all start with now. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, let her be defiled and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. And then in chapter five, verse one, it says, now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. And so all of these now statements are pretty negative. Um, now you will cry aloud. Um, now many nations are coming against you. And now, okay, stand up and fight, muster your troops. Siege is laid against you. Um, so again, this is the context, these, these messages of the doom that is coming upon them. Um, and God's promises often start with something really small. And that's one of the things I love about this passage. Um, first of all, this is one of the minor prophets, um, which I know as Mitchell likes to say, it doesn't mean he was small. Um, <laughs> doesn't mean he was small in stature, but as a minor prophet in terms of it's a small book in the Bible. It's one that you could miss, you know, if you're flipping through, you might not see it. And yet this is a really powerful passage and this has implications that affect all of us and really the whole world because it's about Jesus. Um, and, but it's this, you know, this little small book. This is a short passage, it's just five verses. Um, and then Bethlehem. Um, so in verse two, it says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, I don't know how to say that, Ephrathah. Um, <laughs> say it, Alex. No, you got it. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, but you, Bethlehem, so Ephrathah is like the region um, that Bethlehem was in. Bethlehem is the town. Um, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. Um, some versions, you guys might have other versions, some say um, you're the smallest, it's the smallest among the clans. Um, basically, it's saying this is this tiny little town, not really noticed by anybody. What, there's passages, and you guys will see this if, you, if you're in a reset group. If you're not, please talk to me afterwards if you're interested. Um, but in your reset groups, you'll be studying this. And there are passages where it lists... Um, all the towns of Judah, and it's tons and tons and tons of town, but Bethlehem isn't even mentioned. So that's how insignificant um, people thought it was. It was a tiny little town, and yet out of this is coming this amazing prophecy, life-changing prophecy about Jesus. Um, so God's greatest works often start from the smallest and most unlikely places. Um, I don't have time. I was going to ask you guys to think of others from Scripture. We were kind of running low on time tonight, so I'll just give you a couple of examples. 
Um, Gideon, I don't know if you guys know um, the story of Gideon, um, but he considered himself, he's like, who am I? I come from the smallest clan and all, I can't remember the specifics right now, but anyway, he considered himself insignificant. God used him um, to fight this enemy army and it was this amazing story. David, you know, his, his, uh, the, the prophet Samuel comes and tells his father to call all his sons. He doesn't even call David because he's, you know, he's young and small and doesn't seem important. Um, I could go on and on. There's tons of examples in scripture of how God uses the, the ones who feel insignificant, the ones who are the smallest, the ones who are the, less, the least important according to those around them to do his most amazing works. And so I just want to say to all of you tonight, if that's you, um, if you feel like you are small or insignificant or have ever felt that way, um, if you feel like you don't have anything to offer or you're usually overlooked, I have felt that way a lot in my life. Um, I've had a lot of experiences of feeling insignificant and that is a lie. Um, I just want you guys to know God wants to use those who feel small and insignificant. He wants to use all of us, um, but I really think God gets a kick out of using those who think, oh, I have nothing to offer, and then they get up and offer something, and it's amazing, and he wants to use that for his glory, and so don't discount yourself or disqualify yourself just because you might feel like, well, I'm not as gifted as that person, or I can't speak like they can, or um, you know, whatever it is. Um, God wants to use you. So I just wanted to encourage you guys um, with that. Um, does someone, can someone please read at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31? Just say, got it. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. Okay, great. For consider your calling... Brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were, were powerful. Not many were noble of birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring, are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him... Where did you say to again? To 31. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Mm. Thank you. So you guys don't have to believe me. It's right there in God's word. Um, he wants to use the things that are considered weak and foolish in the eyes of the world for his purposes. So take heart. And no matter how you feel tonight, God has a purpose for you. Um, okay, I want to move on to more things about God's promises. So they often start small, and then God's promises call us, um, sometimes call us to take action. And um, this starts out with muster your troops, um, get up and fight, stand up and do something about your situation. But a lot of times that's not the case. A lot of times God calls us to wait. Um, when we're in a time of feeling stuck. Um, again, sometimes he calls us to action. A lot of times he calls us to wait on him, to wait on his work. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I prefer the first one. Um, I would rather be able to do something, um, be able to have some sort of control, something that I can try to get myself out of a situation. Um, and sometimes we can, um, but I just feel like a lot of times in our lives, God is inviting us to just wait on him and his timing. Um, 
the biggest promise that the Israelites received, which is the promise of the coming Messiah, was something they had to wait years and years and years and generations and generations to see happen. Um, but something like that, something big that God wants to do in our lives is worth waiting for. Um, they had to first endure these years of suffering um, so that God's purposes could be worked out. It says in verse three, um, therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And so this whole um, imagery of giving birth, it's just like the birth pains that the people had to go through this time of exile until the, re the remnant, that's the brothers that it refers to, would return to Israel. And then years after that, is when the Messiah is going to come. And so God, God has reasons um, for the times that he makes us wait for things. He's doing something in that time. Um, and so as he was with the Israelites. Um, so I want to ask you guys, um, as you think about your own lives, where are areas in your life where God is asking you and calling you to wait? Um, it could be in relationships. It could be in your job. Maybe it's that raise you've been wanting to ask for or that promotion or that new job you were hoping to get. Um, it could be in your finances, wanting to get out of debt, wanting to save for something big like a car or a house. Um, it could be illness. Um, it could be family relationships or other relationships that are strained. Um, whatever it is, how can we wait on the Lord in these areas of our lives? What does it look like for us to wait faithfully? And how can we encourage one another as we wait on the Lord? Will we respond and let him do his work in us? Or we will, will we just take matters in our own hands and try to make things happen on our own? Um, these are things you can think about and talk about in your groups later. Um, but I just want you to think about how is God calling you to wait right now? I think there's always areas in our lives where he's calling us to wait on him. And then finally, um, God's promises are far greater than what we could ever imagine. I already said that before, but it's worth repeating. Um, the end results for the Israelites are going to be far greater than what they could have hoped for. A shepherd king who is strong and will bring them the peace and security that they have been longing for. I mean, ultimately, that's what they were really longing for, is just to be able to be on their homeland and be peaceful and secure. And he's promising that eventually this shepherd king, the Messiah, will come and he will bring them those things. Um, and he is promising to be with them. Um, his presence is really what they need most of all. Um, can I have someone read real quick uh, chapter 7, Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. And as, as someone reads those verses, think about how is God described in these verses. Um, so Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. I can read it. Okay, great. Thank you, Jake. Um, so this is the God that is making these promises to them. Um, this is who Jesus is. 
Um, a God who pardons iniquity, passes over transgressions. He doesn't retain his anger forever. He delights in steadfast love. He delights in showing love um, to all of us. Um, he has compassion. He casts our sins into the depths of the sea. Um, this is the God that they are waiting for. This is a God that is worth waiting for. Um, he answers all of those desires of their hearts and of our hearts as well. Um, the people really, really what they wanted was, like I said, they just wanted to go back to their homeland and for things to go back the way that they were. But God had something much bigger in mind for them. He wanted to do something far greater than just restore things the way they were. He was doing something new. Um, he was going to bring Jesus, the Messiah, to make all things new, to completely transform the world, not just where in their little corner of the world, but to the ends of the earth. And so God's ideas and plans for us are so much greater than what we can imagine. And we're I feel like a lot of times we settle with these small desires, these little things that we want, and then we're happy with that. But God wants to do much greater things. And when we wait for him, that's when we get to see some of those things happen in our lives. And the biggest gift that he wants to give us is himself, his presence, his love, this God that we just read about at the end of Micah, this God that's compassionate, that delights in steadfast love. He wants to give his presence to us. He wants to us to experience his love, his forgiveness, his grace. Um, so the rest of my story that I began with um, is that I was in the same place. I wanted immediate results. I wanted friends. I wanted to get married. I, I just wanted things to change in my situation. But God had bigger things in store for me than just that. Um, he, wanted, he was doing a greater work that I definitely couldn't see at the time. Eventually, those smaller desires were fulfilled as well. I did eventually um, make friends and have community again. It happened when I moved away, but it did happen. <laughs> and um, I did get married. Um, you know, all of those things that I wanted so badly in my mid-20s have happened. But um, what he wanted for me most is that I would experience him in the midst of those circumstances. Um, he wanted to show himself to me. And he was preparing me during that time for future ministry and future situations um, that I would be in. And I, I, you know, I could tell you stories at another time of how he did show up and I did experience his presence and feel like I grew in, intimacy, in intimacy with him much more during that time than I would have if all of my desires had been met um, the way that I wanted. So God has a purpose in those, those seasons that he brings us through. Um, so it's the same with you guys. God wants to do so much more in you than what you think you need or want. God has much bigger plans for all of you than you have for yourselves. Um, the question is, will you let him do that work in you? Or will you settle for these smaller desires, this immediate gratification um, that we all tend to look for? Um, so, in the midst of dire circumstances for the people of Israel, God breaks through with a message of deliverance and peace. Um, so, I want to ask you guys, where are the places in your life where you are longing for deliverance? Yeah, it's right there. Thank you. Um, where are the places in your life where you're longing for deliverance? And how can you trust his work even when your circumstances don't look so promising? Um, again, you'll have a chance to reflect on these in your reset groups, um, but if you 
aren't in a reset group and, or aren't going to be there, go ahead and jot those down or take a picture. I just want you to think about that. How is God, um, or sorry, where are the places in your life where you're longing for deliverance and how can you trust his work in your life? Um, or maybe that's not true. Maybe that's not the place you guys are in right now. Maybe some of you are experiencing a time of prosperity. Maybe things are going really well and you're happy and um, you have a good job and you have good relationships and things are going great. Um, so what is the Lord's message to you in that season? Well, I think it's the same as it was um, for the Israelites, not doom. That, I'm not necessarily saying that. Um, not doom and judgment, um, but just to not miss him. Um, I feel like that was the Israelites' biggest problem is that God provided all of these things for them and then they forgot about him. Um, they kind of went their own way and did their own thing. And so I think God's message, message for you if you're in a time of prosperity is don't forget about him. He is still your shepherd king. You still need him, even when everything is going great in your life. Um, it's easier to cling to him when we're in those times of desperation. It can be harder to seek him, actually, when we're happy. Um, but what would it look like for all of us to hope in our shepherd king when things are going really well? Um, third, God is merciful. Um, that is so evident in this passage and in the, you know, the last part of Micah that we read. God doesn't give us what we deserve. He didn't give the Israelites what they deserved. Um, he, promise, he made these promises to these people who should have been punished for their sin. Um, but he's compassionate. And um, his mercy is offered to all of us. Uh, so I want you guys to remember that. Um, you know, whatever you're going through, whatever sins you might be wrestling with or sins from your past, um, God is merciful and he longs to forgive you and to restore you. Um, and then beyond all of that, um, this passage should really just encourage us um, to believe in God's word, um, to just encourage our faith in Jesus, that these um, things that we believe about Jesus are not just ideas, it's rooted in history. Um, the Old Testament is not just a bunch of stories. It all points to Jesus. Um, I, with my kids, I have kids who are five and eight, and we read the Jesus Storybook Bible. And one of the things I love about the Jesus Storybook Bible, if you guys haven't seen it, um, is every single story, when it tells an Old Testament story, it always ends with something about Jesus and it shows that connection. So even small children are learning that connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that all of it was fulfilled in Jesus. And so as we read Micah, and there's so many other um, prophecies that we could study, um, all of it points to Jesus. There's so many specific ways um, that those prophecies were fulfilled. Um, this one is in Matthew 2, 6. I won't have you go there right now, but this exact prophecy is fulfilled in the book of Matthew. Uh, it talks about Bethlehem and um, how the Messiah would come out of that. And so I just want to encourage you guys. Um, we are about to enter into the time of Advent. Um, in two weeks, it's going to start. And Advent is a time to remember the significance of um, Jesus' life, birth, and death on the cross. Um, and the fulfillment of all of these prophecies that um, came true in Jesus. Um, but it's also a time to remember and reflect of how he enters into all of our darkness and brings his light. Um, God is faithful to fulfill his promises, and we can see this in scripture. And so I don't want you guys to miss out on the joy and the beauty of the Advent season. It's actually my favorite season. Um, I just love the 
just taking time to reflect on who Jesus is and the hope that he brings us. Um, I know it's a busy time. We have Christmas parties. We have Christmas gifts to buy, um, Christmas cards, all kinds of stuff going on. It's a very busy time. But I want you, I just want to encourage all of you to take some time to slow down, um, to listen to your shepherd king who wants to give you hope in this season. Um, he is greater than your circumstances. He's greater than your sin. He is greater than anything you are facing or will face in the future. And so I just want to encourage you to let him restore you this Advent season. It is his joy to do so. Thank you. Let me pray for us. Oh, Jesus, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that no matter what our circumstances are, that you are our peace. It doesn't just say that you bring us peace. You are our peace. We thank you for each person in this room. Um, you know their situations. You know what they're going through. We thank you that you are their hope and that you are offering that to them right now. Um, we pray for those who are struggling that they were, will hear your voice, that they were, will hear you inviting them to trust you. We pray for all of us that we would encourage one another to wait on you, to trust you in our circumstances, and to trust that what you have planned for us is far greater than what we have planned for ourselves. We pray for this coming Advent season that we would um, come to know you and fall in love with you in new ways. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.